Great. You look wonderful. Good to see you. You you look fabulous. I love that background. Thank you. Thank you. My book over here and my favorite some of my favorite books over there and reference stuff and my favorite symbol, the sun. Yes, I love it. I love it. Talkshoe has started, so I'm going to get started. Thank you so much uh, to Dr. Melissa Clark for being on the Stroke Diva Fabulous Radio Show this sunny Saturday afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited to have you. And I do have to say before we start, you know, in uh, December, I did my BFF Sister Love show with Ananda Leek and Araka Rotherondu. And we talked yeah. about you. We missed you. <laughs> oh. Well, I am so happy to be here today. I am too. So I'm excited because this is, and we were trying to do this before, you know, we're talking about today COVID. 19 and the vaccines. And I think it's so timely because, you know, I've heard news reports that, um, you know, black folks don't want to take the vaccine, but what's going on is it's hard to get an appointment. But before we even go into that, I want to start with, you know, you are a physician, a patient's advocate, you're an author, a doctor, former medical school school dean. And so you have been at this for over 20 some years. And I know from personal experience that you are a patient advocate. Um, you also have this wonderful that you started during COVID, this uh, podcast on Instagram Live and Facebook Live every Monday at nine, where if folks wanna get the truth about COVID-19, if they want the debunk, <laughs> if they want the latest and the greatest, they can tune in. And you have um, your husband, uh, Mr. Wayne Bruce, is one of your producers. And I don't remember the producer of the young lady that's in California. Lila Mays. And, you know, we switched to um, we switched to YouTube. So it's YouTube and Facebook instead of Instagram, just for people who don't have social media accounts. Okay. Okay. Well, that's right. Cause I watch you. Well, if I'm on my phone, then it's on Facebook. If I'm online, uh -huh. then I'm, it's on Instagram. I mean, uh, YouTube, you're right. Good. Thank you mm -hmm. for clearing that up. So you have really been about the business of educating people about COVID-19. So let's just start kind of from the beginning. It's been almost a year. What do we know now about covid 2021 that we didn't know in 2020, or is there anything new? Oh yeah, there's a lot new. So if you remember initially, if we're starting at the very beginning, we thought that black people didn't get COVID, right? Mm -hmm. And then Idris Elba was the first celebrity who came down with COVID. And I think that got a lot of people, especially black women's attention. And then unfortunately we started to see that chronic diseases put us at higher risk. And so we clearly saw that play out in the form of higher hospitalization rates and obviously two to three higher death rates for black and brown people as compared to white people. And then a report just came out this past week that life expectancy for black and brown people took a dive as compared to whites. So everybody's went down as a result of COVID 
whites went down about 0.8 years, blacks and especially black men went down by three years, which doesn't seem like a lot, but it's a lot when you talk, we're talking about whole populations. Um, some of the other things that are new now are the variants. So there were variants in 2020. They didn't get a lot of attention because the changes in the coronavirus that happen when it copies itself in our bodies, the whole purpose of the virus is to, it can't live without a host. We are the host. And once it gets in our body, its whole purpose is to make copies of itself. So just like a game of telephone, if I tell you something, you tell somebody else something, the more times it reproduces in new people's bodies, the more chances it gets to change. So this was going on all throughout 2020, but the reason it's getting more publicity in 2021 is because the changes that have happened have made it more infectious. So now we have to be concerned about the things that we thought we could get away with, or we thought we were getting away with by maybe hugging people a little bit too long or speaking less than three feet or less than six feet away from them. We're not going to be able to get away with because this virus is stickier and it, it causes, it, it, it jumps from host to host more effectively than the previous variants. And so that means, than the previous virus. So that means the UK strain, the South African strain, the Brazilian strain, and who knows what other strains. And then finally, what we have now in 2021 that's new from last year are the vaccines. And so I know you got a lot of questions about those, but that's definitely something new in the fact that we're vaccinating people at over 1.6 million people a day. Right. And the thing with the vaccines is that you know, and we'll, we'll talk about this a little bit later, even though you are vaccinated, you still have to wear your mask. You still need to do your social distancing. You're, you're not exact, you know, you're not exempt from, you know, this kind of chaos. Yeah. And, you know, though, one thing I want to underscore that's getting lost in that message is if you're around other people that have been vaccinated, so all you and all your girlfriends are 65 and all y'all have been vaccinated. You all can be around each other and you can hug and, and you can be without masks and have some semblance of normalcy within that group of people that have been vaccinated. Now, if you go out into the world and you're interacting with people who haven't been vaccinated or you don't know their vaccination status, such as if you're just in the supermarket or something, that's when you still have to wear a mask and social distance. So people might say, well, what's the point of getting vaccinated if I still have to do that? The point is the more people that get vaccinated, the more you can interact with them as you used to. Okay. Okay. And so let's start there. Tell us about the vaccines. And well, let me start with the basics. What is a vaccine? Why is it so important? And especially with COVID-19, what are we looking okay. at? Great question. A vaccine exposes you to an infectious disease in a harmless way so that your body can boost its immunity, can prepare itself for when it actually is exposed to the real thing. And I like to think of it as getting exposed to COVID is like a pop quiz. You don't know when it's coming and you, your body is not prepared for it. Getting the vaccine is like getting the answers to the pop quiz the day before. So that when you take the actual test, boom, you are ready. Your body is on it. 
And so that's why vaccines are so important. Okay. And what is it about um, the vaccine? What's, what's, what's kind of, I guess I want to say like in the DNA, what's in it that makes it, Mm -hmm. you know, say, okay, okay, body or cell, I've, I've, this seems familiar. Yeah. So a couple of ways that a vaccine accomplishes this. The, first I want to start off with when a virus invades your body, like I said, its purpose is to make copies. It takes over your cell and makes your cell into a virus factory. What your virus has to have the instructions for how to do that. Well, that is what the genetic material of the virus does. Now, let's go to the vaccine. The vaccine takes a part of the genetic material of the virus that you would have been, that we've been exposed to genetic material from virus since the dawn of time, right? And each individual of us has had a common cold and, you know, had other viruses in our life. So we've been exposed to virus genetic material before. The difference with the vaccine is just takes a piece of the genetic material that's responsible for the spike protein. That's the little spikes that come out of the top of the, the, the coronavirus that allows it to stick onto your cell. So when your virus, when your body gets exposed to the contents of the vaccine, it starts to make just the spike protein as opposed to the whole virus. That's why it cannot give you the infection. It cannot give you COVID-19 because it's only one little piece, but it's enough of a piece that your body's immune system says, hey, something's going on here. I have to mount an immune response and it makes customized antibodies. This is how beautiful God is or whatever you believe in created our bodies. It makes customized antibodies to that protein. So the next time your body sees that protein, it knows I got to attack that. The antibodies are ready to go. The memory cells that remember what kind of specific antibody to make are primed and ready to go. Well, that is fascinating. Fascinating. And so, and tell us what we know about the vaccines that we're using today. So you've been, you were on camera, you know, you got both your shots. So tell us um, the difference between we have Pfizer, Moderna, and maybe soon to be Johnson and Johnson, where you go from just one shot instead of two. So kind of walk us through that process. I got the Moderna vaccine. Um, Would you like me to tell you about my experience with it? Yes, definitely. So let me, let me first tell you about the vaccines and then I'll tell you my personal experience. So the Moderna and the Pfizer vaccine are very similar in that they use the, the genetic material called messenger. RNA, which again, are the instructions to make a piece of the virus, specifically the spike protein. I don't know if you remember that show Mission Impossible, where, you know, they got their instructions and then the tape (laughs) self-destructed. Exact same thing happens with the virus, with the, with the messenger RNA. Once it gets into the cell and gives the cell the instructions, itself, the body actually, the cell destroys it. So it only exists for a few minutes after it gets delivered to the cell. That's very important because people who are concerned about, does it alter my genetic material and my DNA? It doesn't. 
It doesn't even get anywhere near your DNA because that's in a separate compartment of your cell. So that's the Pfizer and the Moderna vaccine. You know, you have to have two shots for Pfizer. It's three weeks from your original shot. The second shot for Moderna is four weeks from your original shot. It's only been tested in uh, for Moderna, people 18 and over, for Pfizer, people 16 and over. Johnson and Johnson, their vaccine plus the AstraZeneca vaccine also use genetic material, but they use the DNA, okay? So DNA and R messenger RNA are similar, but it's sort of like a two-step instruction process. So DNA is the master instructions, and then the messenger RNA is just what it sounds like. It's the messenger from the DNA carrying the instructions for the cell to be able to use it. So the DNA is the master blueprint. So it uses that, again, just the portion for the spike protein, and that's what gets delivered via the vaccine. And then the third kind of vaccine is, doesn't use genetic material at all, and this is the Novavax vaccine. For those of you who are familiar with Howard University, they are one of the places that is doing clinical trials for the Novavax vaccine. That's just the protein. It doesn't use genetic material at all. And then it introduces just the protein into your body and your body responds to that. So I got the Moderna vaccine. The first shot, I felt basically fine. I felt a little sort of lightheaded for the first four hours. I took some Tylenol and after that I felt better. My arm ached for about four days and then that was fine. The second shot, a little rougher. Arm ache for four days, but I also had fevers, aches, headaches, lethargy. I felt fatigued for about a day and a half. I took Tylenol throughout that period. It made me feel better, but I never, I wasn't really energetic. I kind of just laid around for a day and a half. And then after that day and a half was over, I felt fine and I felt fine ever since. And that was about three weeks ago. Okay. And that was one of the questions is, you know, once you take the vaccine, um, about the side effects. Can people have severe side effects? Let's say um, if you've never had a vaccine before, um, what should folks be looking at? Yeah. So just to realize that when you get a cold or, you know, any kind of the flu or COVID, what you're feeling in your body the fevers and the chills and the achiness and the fatigue, a lot of that is due to your body's immune reaction. So when you get those effects after you take the vaccine, it is your immune system ramping up. So the first time you get the shot, very few people get those effects because um, your body is, is ramping up, right? But the second shot, people tend to get more of those effects because your body immediately, again, has already built some immunity. So it immediately recognizes the, the, uh, the virus spike protein and immediately starts to attack it and ramp up uh, to drive it out of your body. So that's when you get more of the fevers and the chills and the achiness after the second shot. People over 55, which I'm not yet, uh, they tend to not have the effects because as we age, our immune system ages and doesn't, it still mounts an immune response. It's just not as aggressive. And so therefore they don't tend to, with the second shot, 
experience those side effects. So those side effects are to be expected. The more severe side effects are the, the allergic reactions, which we've seen and heard about. If you have uh, had an allergic reaction to the first shot or you have any sort of allergic reaction to any of the ingredients of the vaccine, and those are listed on the FDA's website, you should not take the vaccine. For everybody else, as long as you get observed for 30 minutes after the uh, vaccination, if you mm -hmm. have a severe reaction, it's treatable and, and most people have been treated for it in the, that 30 minute time frame. The, it only happens about 10 or 11 people per million vaccinations administered. Wow. The other, the other effect, um, the other two effects that I've heard that are severe are it lowered platelets and inflammation of your nervous system. So Bell's palsy, you may have, may have heard of mm -hmm. both of those, both of those occurrences happen in the population anyway, oftentimes following a viral infection. So the rate at which they're happening, I think there have been 20 episodes of lowered platelets per 40 million vaccinations given. So it's very, very, very rare, is no more frequent than what happens on a regular basis in the population without a vaccine. So what's going to happen is as millions and millions and millions of people get these vaccines, stuff that happens, happens anyway right? It doesn't necessarily mean that the vaccine is causing it if you're seeing it at the same rate that it always happens. What's concerning is if you see a spike in things that don't necessarily, that happen every, anyway following the vaccine, then you can say the vaccine is responsible for this. We haven't seen anything like that. I am so glad you cleared that up. So you can't say that the vaccine caused it. These things happen anyway. Correct. It's just the example is, for example, let's say 20 people go into the hospital. 10 people get a bear, a teddy bear, and 10 people don't get a teddy bear. The 10 people that get the teddy bear leave the hospital in five days because they had the flu. The 10 people that didn't get the teddy bear leave the hospital in five in five days because they had the flu. It doesn't mean that the teddy bear caused people to leave the hospital because they were going to leave the hospital anyway. OK, that's I mean, that's really good information. And so when you're looking um, or when we're looking at people that say, you know what, I don't want the vaccine. I want to wait and see because, you know what, it came too fast. It came too early. What do you say? You know, I wrote the book that's over my shoulder, Excuse Me, Doctor, I've Got What? And it's all about advocating for yourself and asking questions about your health and your health care and how to navigate the healthcare system. So I applaud people asking questions about the vaccine um, and even being skeptical. But the bottom line is all the concerns that I've heard have not yet panned out. Number one, the concern about it's developed very quickly. So the messenger RNA 
method that I talked about actually had been around for 10 years and had been perfected during that period of time. So when the coronavirus came along and there was all this money pumped into find a vaccine, people just took that solution off the shelf and applied it to this. So it's not like that technology was new. The other thing I have to say about technology is we've had explosions in technology in other industries and nobody's questioned it. But the same is true of vaccine technology. It has developed, thankfully, to the point that we are now able to have these kinds of vaccines that are effective. So, for example, the fact that it used to be that you used to have a computer uh for the computing power that you now carry on your wrist, we used to have entire rooms for it. It's that same mm -hmm. nanotechnology. Nano just means little, working at things on a very tiny basis. It's the same nanotechnology that it's allowed us to shrink a computer down to a wristwatch that have allowed us to be able to develop these technologies using mRNA vaccines. That is a fascinating point. When you put it that way, you go, oh, yeah, that kind of makes sense. Yeah. There's so nothing scary about nanotechnology. Everybody's saying, oh, my God, nanotechnology is going to change my DNA. No, it just means nano just means little, little technology. Wow. that's And so I guess the big question is, is once you get the vaccine, can you still get COVID-19? I mean, do we know how long once we're vaccinated, do we know how long we're immune? We don't, Kamaria. That's an excellent question. We know that with the natural infection, that the antibodies start to go away after about three months, but you have the memory in your cells of how to make more antibodies that seems to, to continue for about eight months. We're kind of seeing that same pattern with the vaccine where immunity is lasting eight to nine months. But the only reason we, you know, it's that we stop at nine months is because that's from the time the first person got the vaccine in the first clinical trial phase one to about now has been about nine months. But that doesn't mean that it won't last longer. So that's what we know today. It's still being observed and studied. Okay. And so that brings me to the question of this. It seems as though we're in a limited supply. So you, we don't know. So like in within another nine months, you'll need a, a second or a third or a fourth shot. I mean, with the supply, the limited supply that we have now, I mean, how does that work into play? Yeah, that's an excellent question. And before I answer that, I want to go back to one that you asked me a couple questions ago that I didn't answer completely. People who say they want to wait for the vaccine. So mm -hmm. I would say to that, that historically, in terms of what we see with vaccine side effects, they happen in the first two months after vaccination. So we certainly have seen the, you know, 40 million people get vaccinated in the past two months. And we have not seen, as I said, any significant side effects, um, certainly none that rival the 500,000 Americans who are dead as a result of COVID. 
So when you weigh the two things, 500,000 deaths versus 11 allergic reactions per million people, there's, it pales in comparison. Um, oh, and then it's, and then as far as what you just asked me about, um, you know, the, the schedule of the vaccines, we may need boosters. That's true. We don't know yet, but it, it's, it's a possible, it's a strong possibility, especially because of the variants that we mentioned earlier, the production, um, as far as vaccinations is ramping up. So number one, if the Johnson and Johnson vaccine gets approved, we know there are already a hundred million uh, doses that the United States would get. We know that for the Pfizer and Moderna, President Biden has said that by July there will be vaccines for all enough for all adult Americans. And I say adult because, like I said, the trials have not been finished in children. They won't be finished until the fall. So okay. there will be enough for all adult Americans by July. And that just seems like it's so far off, which was, you know, when I started earlier about, um, you know, I've seen like news reports where, oh, you know, black people don't want the vaccine. Well, I know for myself and, you know, and, and for my mom, I have some family members and some friends that have that have been able to get the vaccine. Um, you know, I have an existing condition, pre-existing condition. So of course I wanna make sure I, I get it. Um, but you cannot get an appointment. And as soon as someone finds out, okay, well try this website, you go on that website, everything, like everything is booked. So you're kind of just like on that waiting list. Can you talk about that at all? Extensively, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, we did have legitimate concerns because of our historical concerns around the Tuskegee syphilis experiment that watched black men with syphilis and withheld the, the life saving treatment of penicillin without their consent. We certainly know about how black women's bodies were used during slavery without anesthesia to learn about anatomy by cutting them open. We know about forced sterilization. And these things were not that long ago. Our grandmother and mother's generations lived through these things. But we also have legitimate concern because of the indignities that we as black people right now um, endure when we go interact with the healthcare system, which is why I wrote the book, Excuse Me, Doctor, to empower people when it comes to interacting with the, in the healthcare system with doctors um, or other healthcare providers who overtalk you, who disrespect you, and who end up giving you substandard quality of care because they don't listen and because they have certain assumptions about you. So we have a legitimate reason to, to distrust the healthcare system. But the beautiful thing is that black clergy, black doctors, black nurses have stepped up to the plate and have been talking with the black community ever since August, really, to try to give information and answer questions and concerns that we as black people legitimately have. And what we have seen, I work with an organization called the Black Coalition Against COVID-19. So if you go to their website, bcac.org, there are a bunch of, of, of webinars that we've done. We've had Dr. Fauci, we've had Dr. Kizmikia Corbett, 
who led the vaccine, uh, Moderna vaccine development at NIH. We've had Dr. Marcella Nunez-Smith, who heads health equity for the Biden administration. We've had a lot of different people come on, as well as myself and other doctors, to give information. And, and they're there on that website, as, along with other resources. Of course, my streaming show that I've been doing every Monday night, all these venues have, we've seen the needle move. So black people go from 60% of people saying, oh, heck no, I'm not taking the vaccine, down to about 30%. And even within that 30%, there are people who are just saying, look, I just want more information. I'm not saying I'm not going to take it, but I want to know if I have sickle cell, is it safe for me to take? If I have sarcoid, is it safe for me to take? I've had COVID before. Should I get it? You know, people have specific questions about their own health. And if they don't have the people that they trust to ask it to, then then they have a right to say, well, I'm going to wait. But the more forums like this that you're providing, for example, so that people can hear the information, the better. And we're seeing that, you know, we as black people, we are resilient. We have not survived in this country by closing our eyes and closing our ears. We're pragmatic. We hear information, we change our mind, we adapt, and we make sound decisions. And that's how we've gotten to where we are, despite 400 years of being oppressed. I am so thankful that you just made, you just went through all of that because the thing is, I know in the beginning, I was like, oh, I'm not taking that. Oh, no. But once the Trump administration was removed, <laughs> once I found out, oh, it's a black girl that had something to do with this. I was black like, girl magic all day. black girl magic, wait a minute. Let me let me rethink this. And, yeah. if, you know, more more people are vaccinated then you know, the quicker we can get back to what we called normal. I mean, I don't necessarily want to go back to what was <laughs> normal. Yeah. You know, we've, there's been some beauty and some magic in these in this trying times. We've had, you know, a lot of death, a lot of, um, you know, it's 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 been, um, you know, it's, it's just been it's been a journey. Yeah, it's it's been a journey. Yeah. So it's it's been some beauty and it's also been some things that were not so beautiful. And you you mentioned something that I wanted to touch on. You know, if you have a pre-existing condition, whether it, it is lupus or sarcoid, you know, I have sarcoid um, or a sickle cell, you know, how, how should we be thinking of, you know, should I wait it out or should I definitely just, you know, go ahead and, and take it? So if you have, you know, these serious conditions, what do you say? So people with chronic diseases, including autoimmune diseases, were included in the clinical trials for Moderna and Pfizer. Um, I just don't, I have not seen the data for Johnson and Johnson, so I can't speak to it or any of the other ones because they have not made it, you know, public yet. Um, So I can definitely speak to the ones that I personally have reviewed. So with people, first of all, let me say with black people, every single black person who was included in the, in the Pfizer and Moderna trial, all of them who got the vaccine compared to the people who didn't get the vaccine, none of them got COVID-19. Mm. Of the people with chronic disease, 
94 to 95%, and that's in COVID and, I'm uh, sorry, in Moderna and in Pfizer, uh, did not get, of, of those who got the vaccine versus the placebo, the comparison, 94 to 95% of them did not get COVID. So it's very effective in both black people and in people with pre-existing uh, chronic disease. Okay, so, that's the conclusion is yes. The conclusion is yes. If you have a pre-existing condition, including an autoimmune disease, you should you you. It is safe and effective to take the vaccine. If you have specific questions, like if you are on an agent that suppresses your immune system, talk with your doctor, the doctor that prescribed you the medicine, to see how you should proceed. You may get a lower uh, uh, immune response being on a biologic agent, um, like Humira or, or one of the, that in that family, but it shouldn't stop you from taking it. And like I said, talk with your provider to get your specific concerns addressed, your healthcare provider. Okay. And so you can say with certain certainty, like once anyone takes the vaccine, we're pretty much safe from getting COVID. At least we know up to like nine nine months, we're pretty yeah. safe. You are you're definitely safe from getting severe COVID um, and death because of the variants. You might get mild COVID or even moderate COVID, but because we've seen that the vaccine is active against the variants with the South African variant, a little bit less active. So that's why I said it's not foolproof to say that you won't, that you won't get symptoms, but those okay. symptoms should not be severe enough that you end up in the hospital or that you die. Okay. Well, that like, that kind of takes a load off. And so we, for, so for last year, you know, we did Zoom Thanksgiving and Zoom Christmas and we did birthday drive-bys. So for 2021, let's say, um, do we still need to do that? Or do we only get, do we only have people over that have been vaccinated? Can, and for those that say, you know what, I'm just not going to do the vaccine. Uh, what should we be doing, let's say, this summer? You know, I'm not sure if people will be able to travel. And if you travel, will you be, should you have the vaccine before you travel? Will other countries make you have it before you come into their country? Do we know these, these things yet? So we don't know what countries will do in terms of travel restrictions. Um, we don't know what employers will do in terms of whether they will require their frontline people to have vaccination, but they are legally within their right to do that. As far mm -hmm. as Thanksgiving and Christmas, um, I think that if you and your family members are vaccinated, there is absolutely no reason why you shouldn't be able to get together, which was what my message was to people before this holiday season started. Knowing the vaccinations were coming out, the vaccines were coming out, I said, look, please, please, please just consider this holiday season a, like a bye week in football. Just <laughs> take it off. Just stay at home, celebrate, and know that this time next year, you will be able to get together with your family, given that everybody is vaccinated. And so that's still my message. 
I think it's something to look forward to. It's something to continue to make us be motivated to practice social distancing, masking, and to protect our loved ones who have not yet been vaccinated and ourselves. Because when we do get vaccinated, again, with those group of girlfriends or family or loved ones that we want to get together with who have also been vaccinated, it'll be much, much safer. Right. And so suppose you have those that want to come over and they haven't been vaccinated. Well, that's their personal, you know, that's your personal decision. I mean, certainly people are doing that. But what I would say to those people who haven't gotten vaccinated, they are taking a risk in terms of not getting vaccinated and they will not be able to reintegrate into society and do things without the risk, severe risk of getting coronavirus as their loved ones and and friends who have decided to get vaccinated. So that's a reason in and of itself. I know one lady who's in her seventies, all her girlfriends had gotten vaccinated and they were talking about getting together. And she realized I won't be able to get together with them because I haven't been vaccinated. And so she decided to get vaccinated for that reason. So she could hang out with her girlfriends again. And they were all (laughs) over 65. Wow. And that's, um, and that's the other thing I wanted to ask the, the question of uh, for folks that have to wait, um, because when you go on some websites, you know, once you put in your age, whether you have a pre-existing condition or not, it's like you're not el- you're not el- you're not eligible till you're 65. But and, and you mentioned this, that President Biden said that by July, is he sure that by July that it'll be open for everyone because of the ramped up? Uh, vaccination schedule or? So even those people, yes, that is what he has said. So, you know, God willing and the creek don't rise. That's what he is shooting for. And that's what he said. Um, But even before July, people with pre-existing conditions will be up next. So, and that's, you know, regardless of age. So, we would be looking at probably in the spring, uh, in the early spring, definitely that people with pre-existing conditions, that vaccination phase will be underway. And okay. spring is right around the corner. It's March, March 20, is it March 22nd? Yeah, March 22nd. Oh, it is. It's so, so close. Well, I'm definitely looking forward to the summer. And, and I don't, you know, I have like, about 25 questions. I'm not going to ask y'all 25 questions, but, <laughs> but I do want you. <laughs> but I do want you to talk about um, the importance of doing your show, and of course about um, your book. Excuse me, doctor. I've got what? <laughs> well, yeah. Like I said, the reason that I wrote "Excuse Me, Doctor" was because I as uh, myself personally advocating for my parents and, and other loved ones in my life, realize, you know, the difficulty that, that happens when you have to interact with the healthcare system. So I have divided the book into two parts. The first half has to do with things that you can do to take care of yourself. I call them self-care actions. And I explain, you know, all the different members of the healthcare team from massage therapists to doctors to social workers, anybody who you might possibly interact with 
chiropractors. I go into a lot of detail about, you know, what, what research has shown certain alternative therapies are great for. For example, acupuncture is great for chronic pain. So that's the first half of the book. And then the second half of the book is when you interact with the healthcare system, all the different scenarios and what to do. So you can, you don't even have to read the book from start to finish. You could just go to the chapter that you want to know, okay, I got medical bills. How do I deal with these medical bills? Or I'm about to go to the doctor. What are the five questions that I need to know that I need to know to ask before I leave the doctor's office? Um, my loved one has been hospitalized and now has to find a rehab facility. What are the criteria that make a good rehab facility? And what are the questions I need to be asking to make sure that they end up in the best possible place? So there are all these different scenarios in the book. Like I said, you could just look them up, read about them and, and know what to do. And then on my show, um, I started it, you know, I've been listening to the previous administration. I don't even like to say their name, the previous presidential administration and their press conferences early on the pandemic. They kept saying, oh, it's elderly people, seniors, old people that need to worry about COVID. They weren't really emphasizing the chronic disease aspect. And like I said, I know and everybody knows that black people and Hispanic people and indigenous people suffer from chronic diseases disproportionately to the rest of the population. So I felt that it was necessary to get out there as much as, as, much as people could hear me and say, hey, everybody, listen, be careful. This is coming and it's going to hit us hard and disproportionately. And I've been doing that like I said, ever since April of last year. The show has evolved, so now I have guests on to talk about different aspects of your health, um, different aspects of COVID, like school reopening and sports, and we have a different guest every week, and we just have fun with it. We have fun with the questions that people ask because it's live and real time, and you know, people type their questions in the chat. I call them out. I thank them for their questions personally. So, you know, if if anybody's interested, it's every Monday night, 9 p.m. East Coast time. YouTube and Facebook Live. And it's yeah, oh, I mean, the, it's not from Melissa Clark with a Clark with an E. Yes, and make and they said Dr. Mel, Dr. Mel. And I mean, and the show is phenomenal. And you have some really great guests. So you're doing a great service to the community. And and you've touched on some things about, you know, op well, pregnant women, uh, opening schools, you know, the sports, uh, people going back to work. I know for some companies, um, you know, they're going to just do telework, you know, just work from home, you know, kind of maybe indefinitely, um, because now you know that people can actually get work done from right. home. <laughs> so, yeah, you I mean, see that there have been some beautiful things and there have been some terrible things. That's one of the beautiful things is the exactly. ability for so many people to telework now and realize that companies realizing, hey, it saves us money on office space and people are as productive or maybe even more productive than when they came into the office. Right, because a lot of people are even working harder, um, especially if you're a parent and you have children. So you have to, you know, do your work duty and you have to do your family duty. Um, but what do you think, uh, you know, when it comes to like opening schools, uh, I know some teachers want to be vaccinated and some teachers 
don't. And I guess it's kind of the same as, you know, as I was thinking about, well, with, you know, the holidays, some people want to be and some people don't. I mean, how do we as I mean, it's just not even the country, but I guess all around the world dealing with COVID. I mean, how do we get to um, a place where we're going to have, you know, some people say yes and some people say no. But, you know, you but you want the kids in school and you want, you know, these sports things going on. Right. So I'll going say this. You know, the strategy around COVID all along has been how can we live with COVID, not how can we eliminate COVID. If I was uh-huh. in charge, I would say everybody just stay home for five weeks. We'll pay you to stay home and we'll eliminate COVID. It's as simple as that. And then maybe mm-hmm. close our borders for maybe another month or two after that. And during that time, vaccinate as many people as possible. And, and continue it even afterwards. To me, that's a way to eliminate COVID. So when I hear people talk about going back to school in areas of the country where community spread is high, um, and, and the CDC has outlined you know, what that is, it's above you know, 9% of the people who go get tested turn up positive, that's high community spread. That means the likelihood that you're gonna run into somebody with COVID is high. It makes no sense to me to talk about going back to school in those conditions because schools do not exist in a bubble. Kids transmit COVID. And we're concerned about the children transmitting COVID, obviously, to each other, but we know they get sick much less. They do, there is a chance for for them to get sick and even have the long-term COVID. But the, the, the greatest risk exists to when they go home passing it to their parents and grandparents. And we know black and brown children live with people more often who are in multi-generational households. They may be taken care of by their grandmother and who tend to have higher rates of chronic disease. So I see what I see happening in terms of the people who are pushing it to reopen schools are people who don't feel that COVID threatens them personally, right? Because they've heard on the news that they are not in the high risk group. So therefore, you know, they're very concerned as we all are concerned about the mental health of our children. And so they're pushing them to go back to school. But the teachers have a very legitimate complaint. Number one, the CDC has said that the facilities must be up to speed. In black and brown communities, we know that schools tend to be underfunded. And so the ventilation systems are not up to snuff. The Ability to open windows and air out the classroom is not up to snuff. There's overcrowding in the schools. So if they know that they're going back to teach in those conditions, why force them to go back? Nobody else is being required to go back to their job and risk their life other than occupations like, you know, firefighters and police officers and doctors where we know when we go in, we're potentially risking our lives. But, but why are we asking teachers to do that? It's just not fair. And then saying that they could go back before they're vaccinated into these areas where there's high community spread and the schools have not been mitigated and, and brought up to snuff is just not right. So the CDC guidelines, if they're followed to the letter, it is safe to do even if the teachers are not vaccinated. But we know that school districts have not yet put the resources and, and, and effort into getting the school buildings right and getting the PPE to all the students, et cetera. And that's the thing. How are we 
almost a year later and you don't have the PPE that's needed for anything. <laughs> or the I'm, testing. Yeah, the testing is because I mean, you know, you can make your own cloth mask at home, but the testing right. is really the other thing that's needed. I mean, there really should be the school nurse having, you know, testing for anybody and everybody who needs it, some protocol, maybe testing everybody once a week, just to make sure that you're finding people because the temperature checks, I'll be honest with you, I just call it infection control theater. Most kids are not going to have a temperature. Even most adults, only 30% of the adults have a fever when they have when they get COVID initially. And 40% of the people never get symptoms at all. And then, you know, even the people that get symptoms, they're five days where they're infectious before their symptoms even start. So saying that you're going to do temperature checks is not a be all and end all to catch people cases, the majority of cases, even the minority of cases with, with who are coronavirus positive, you have to have testing. Wow. That is so interesting that I did not even know because you're thinking, you know, Hey, you know, of course we were on Amazon, got our little thermometer. <laughs> so we could do. Yeah, I'm not saying for, for you at home, personally to have a thermometer is fine. But what I'm saying is buildings and businesses and stuff, schools saying that they're going to rely on temperature checks. They're only going to get a maybe 20 or 30% of the people who are actually infectious will have a, a, a fever at any given time. At the time they show up to school that day, <laughs> Even if they are going to have a temperature, they might not have it. And if their mother gave them or father gave them Tylenol or Motrin before they gave them to school, again, that's going to mask the temperature too. So you're going to really only get a very, very small fraction of people who will have coronavirus infection, be able to spread it, and you'll be able to catch them with a temperature check. Wow, that's fascinating. And so, I mean, there's still so much that... Um, you know, and unless you are, you know, into this serious study, there's still just so much that we don't know. And so I know I had sent you, someone had sent me a text about, you know, if we're going at the rate we're going, it may take us another like 7.5 years for us to get to what we know is normal. But with all of, with everything that's going on, because being, you know, having great, the, the great ventilation systems and testing and tracing and vaccines, um, we still have a long way to go. We, we do. And I think the road is complicated by, you know, these variants popping up, which is why the faster we get vaccinated, the less chance va variants, new variants will pop up that we mm. potentially might not be able to control, right? So that's why it's important to get vaccinated sooner rather than later um, and be able to have a strategy, not just where we can live with COVID, but where we shut COVID down. That would really be the optimal outcome to be able to get back to normal. And I say, you know, it can be done. It can be done sooner than seven and a half years for sure. 
I mean, it could be done in five weeks if we really put our mind to it. But mm-hmm. with the with the different uh, mitigation factors coming out now and the vaccine, um, I think that we, you know, by this time next year, things should look a lot different. I won't say back to normal, but they should look mm-hmm. a lot different. Well, I'm I'm for your idea. You know what? Stay home for five weeks <laughs> and be paid. That's the thing. These huge, you know, trillion dollar stimulus. Just use that to pay people to stay home for five weeks. Five weeks, and then hey, by the time the summer hits, we are we are good. We are good. In the next uh, few minutes, anything um, that we should know that maybe I didn't mention, uh, anything else around the, the corner that we should know about COVID, that uh, any other questions that you typically get that I may have missed, I want to make sure I uh, get as much from you as possible. I mean, the only other thing uh, regarding vaccine distribution is, you know, it hasn't gone well, as you pointed out. And especially in black communities like Prince George's County, Maryland, they've gotten fewer vaccines than they should have. And one of the excuses is, oh, well, we didn't think black people were going to be interested in taking it because they were hesitant. But mm-hmm. as we talked about, right, That's we talked guess. about people <laughs> have been changing their minds. And now the rate of vaccine hesitancy among black people is the same as the rest of the population. It was around 30%. So it no longer justifies that places that are predominantly black and brown should be vaccine deserts. It's criminal. And so, you know, a lot of people are stepping up to the plate to lobby the federal government directly to say, look, and and state governments to to reallocate vaccines to places where they're needed and people who need them who are dying disproportionately. Um, And so we should start, we've already started to see the needle move on that. For example, black churches, being mm-hmm. vaccination sites and like, getting uh, uh, disbursements of vaccines directly to them so that they can outreach the community and, and get people in who are frustrated like you are, and many, many people are, at not being able to get vaccine appointments. Absolutely. I'm so glad you mentioned that because you even did a, a show, you know, with, with the Black Church. And um, and if you're on, if you're in Prince George's County, where I am, and you get, um, you know, the newsletters, you know, um, there are churches that say you can come by, you know, and get your vaccine. You don't need an appointment and, you know, all this kind of great stuff. So, I, I mean, kudos to, um, you know, our churches that are stepping up and filling in the void and, um, you know, hey, and you may have to go to, which, you know, we may do just go to a giant or go to mm-hmm. a Walgreens or, you know, the CVS um, because, you know, these, these, these appointments, you know, have been a little, a little testy. So um, Dr. Mel, let folks know how they can reach you. Of course, I've, you know, had it online, but let them know how they can reach you, you know, the show, the book, mm-hmm. and, uh, and just, just to chat, ask questions if they need to. Sure. Well, the book, excuse me, doctor, you could get it at my website, drmelissaclark.com, D-R for doctor, Melissa with two S's and Clark with the E.com. That's also how you can reach me on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. If you do happen to go to my YouTube, please hit subscribe. If you happen to go to Facebook, my Facebook page, please hit like. Both those places you can find 
the previous broadcasts that Kamaria mentioned, um, as well as see the upcoming ones every Monday night at 9 p.m. Um, you know, leave me comments, leave me questions. I try to answer them. Uh, and of course, live, I definitely will answer your questions. Um, it's a fun show. My co-producers, Wayne Bruce and Lila Mays really make it fun and they curate the audience questions and make sure that that they all get answered. So I uh, would love if ever, anybody wants to stop by and and uh, participate. Oh, that's that is great. And I am going to take our photo before before we go. Uh, All right. You gotta send me a copy. I definitely will. Okay. See, I've tried not to show the bottom part there. And I'll just take a million, so just keep smiling. <laughs> Let me just check really quick. Yes, you look fabulous, darling. Thank you. Thank you. I will send this. Thank you so much, Dr. Mel. I'm like, I've known you all these years. I've never, ever even thought about referring to you as Dr. Mel. <laughs> <laughs> my my producer uh, got that fire started. So. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. so thank you, Dr. Melissa Clark, for being on the Stroke Diva Fabulous show today and just giving us a wealth of, um, I mean, a ton of great information because it's like uh it's it's just so much and we have i mean it's you know we still have so much to learn about covid and about vaccines but um i think we're with the new administration it seems like you know we are going to get there sooner than later with uh, with everything we need to do. So I applaud you, you know, for doing your show every every Monday at nine and um, with the wealth of guests and just getting this information out there to folks because that's I mean we need the that is the power the information is the power. And I applaud you for doing the same and making interesting shows. You've asked me some fantastic questions. Um, and just, I, I also have to say that you were the first one to interview me when my book came out. So I always thank you and hold you up for that. And just thank you for being the wonderful person you are. Thank you. I love you dearly. Thank you so much for doing this. Um, that book, excuse me, doctor, I've got what? Helping folks take ownership of their health is a gem. And, um, you know, and for some of my doctors, I'm like, some of my doctors, they need this book. <laughs> <laughs> you know, a lot of doctors and nurses have bought it, actually. So, yeah. <laughs> Look, y'all need this <laughs> so that you know. Yeah. <laughs> going on so my pleasure thank you so much enjoy the rest of your saturday hello and hugs and switches to you and the fam uh as All you right. know who is live and recorded once we're done it will upload and i will post on uh social media uh, as soon as it's done so and i'll post our photos either today or tomorrow but uh, we're definitely going to get the show out today so thank you, dear. Enjoy the rest of your Saturday. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks, everyone.